All right, well, welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BK Glue Guys. iTunes, five stars. Give us a rating. We love it. We want it. We need it. Brian, NetsDaily.com, Almighty Baller. Baller. Brian. Mike. We're back. You were shot out of a cannon today. <laughs> we were recording this at 4.55 p.m., proven to be the best time for energy of the day. That is, yeah. that is true. Uh, Brian. The Nets are back. Yeah. Have you um, been watching the games? <laughs> Have you been watching any of these games? It's been, we were talking about this before, maybe a couple days ago before, um, how it's been kind of uncommonly difficult to watch down the stretch here, despite, you know, this, you know, we're having close games. These, it's not a, a you know, a bad experience. We kind of like it, but somehow we're not showing up and watching these games at the time. We always go back and rewatch it on tape because we have a podcast and we're professionals Gosh darn it! But uh, we were talking a little about this, and, and I and I kind of stand by it. It's just all of the headlines have run their course. Everyone that was transformative got good. They they got good in like December or right. November yeah. even. Yeah. And uh, and there's been no like giant surging, you know, thing. Um, so what do we got? We have. We have tight, tight losses. Not, not really tight losses to to Detroit in, in <laughs> at the end of March, early April. But know? it was an intense March uh, game between a team that is not two teams that aren't going to be in the playoffs. I mean, I think the thing yeah. is, is that it, the Nets are. It's weird to say this, but they're disappointing, right? They're like because we are used to the uh, late March, early April right. push. Mike, 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 you're forgetting the wins against the spread. Uh, or no. Oh, <laughs> oh right. I, yeah. Mike, yeah, the Nets are the best team in basketball compared to that, on the, in that yeah. ranking. Um, and the fact that we, they've been jobbed more than anyone else in the last two-minute report has revealed that. We know that. That is That's not true. a conspiracy theory. And this explains why Quincy Acey is so gosh darn chimpy. <laughs> chimpy. Uh, getting into fights with your boy Andre Drummond. Um, I I thought that this was an interesting fight because um, well, anytime Quincy Nancy gets in one of these one into one of these moments, um, I always feel kind of weird because it's obvious that he feels regretful about it. He feel he feels like it, there's a little bit of torment involved with Quincy AC and how he feels about losing his temper. Do, do you get that sense? Do you feel that way? Well, because he's a sweet man, you can tell. I think I, well, I think it's like it's this. It's you know, if Yao Ming got into a fight or something, right? Everyone would just be like <laughs> <laughs> applauding, applauding it because he's you know that's not that's out of his character. Um, and I get the sense that Quincy Acey is sort of like he's like uh, like Mickey Rourke in Sin City or something, where he's like, ah, like you did it again. How'd you get your? <laughs> How'd you get here? How'd you get here, Quincy? <laughs> yeah. Damn it! And there's uh, you know a dead hooker on the bed, and there's broken right. glass in the mirror. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the life Quincy uh, AC leads. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I love so, a Sin uh, City reference, Brian. That's what cool. is it, five years yet? It's gotta be older than five years. Oh I my, just saw that was high school, I think. I'm just kidding. Um I saw it a while ago. I dragged my father to that movie. That w- that's a a pretty brutal Well, it's not even that good, but it's a pretty brutal what, film. What, what did old man Smeltz think of that one? He liked it? Well he has sleep apnea, so he fell asleep in every movie we went to. Uh, one of my favorite stories delightful. is the time Smeltz brought his mother-in-law to see <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street, which in the first five minutes, if you've seen that movie, you'll know 
what a disastrous <laughs> move that was. And as you know me, I'm not like Mr. Cool Guy. I'm not like if a moment is awkward, I can I can't hide it. Oh yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. You, you multiply the awkwardness <laughs> quite a bit. Um, yeah, we still haven't forgotten about that one. We still haven't talked actually since that day. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't expect you will. Uh, Quincy AC brawl, dude. I mean, so. Okay, let's appreciate Quincy AC for a second. We are prone to bash him because he was on the court for many games this season, shooting up threes, them not going in, um, kind of not making the right play all the time, making a strange play. But he had his moment. He's having his moment as a bench player, and he had his moment against Andre Drummond, slapping a ref in the face. Mm. Oh, the, the flailing arm to hit a ref in the face. I mean, I don't. And I think his reaction afterwards must have also have been crap i'm about to lose you know hundreds of thousands of dollars by being suspended for hitting a ref um for a guy who like obviously hasn't made a ton of money in the nba but super appreciative yeah. man that's the best moment of his year is can we say that are we allowed to say that is that like wrong to say that that's the best moment of his year uh it's not wrong to say um yeah, no, I think I think you're I think you're right. No, we need somebody was saying who was it was a Billy uh, I want to Reinhardt. Oh, I want to get this right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was saying that he needs to be uh, <clears throat> like a psycho, uh, like a meta world piece, uh, effectively, kind of kind of presence on a nightly basis, um, which I'm not sure isn't right. You know, it, you need at least one psycho, I think, to to go to go the distance. But I don't think it's Quincy AC, man. I just tell you, I'm just watching his sideline antics. He's like Mister. Mr. Nice he's, guy, he's re- cheerleader. <laughs> it's because he has a conscience. He's too remorseful after it, after it happens. He's something like he's just like, oh, why did I do that? Why did I let that happen to me? Uh, we um, got a, we got a lot to get to because there's some. So we have uh, some Joe Harris love. We have D'Angelo Russell like a weird Twitter battle between a couple of writers. That one who's a friend of the pod, one who is not a friend of the pod, and we'll get to let's that hear later. that one. Let's let's go into that because I honestly uh, I saw you you were tweeting about that and I just had no idea what you're talking about. I'm out of the loop. All right, so Stefan Bondi has like has has continued to be an antagonist from the outside about the Nets. He so here's my theory about him. <laughs> He's following the the Frank Isola um Isola is it Isola? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, school of thought on on covering on being a beat reporter just like be completely adversarial the, the entire time you're covering the team. It's really and it's, interesting. And it's like so Isola like did that well and he would actually bash the posts Knicks guy. I mean he still does all the time. Which is somewhat interesting, but then you also think about it as like, well, that's kind of screwed up. Where Bondi, I don't even know what he covers anymore. I know he's a writer for the Daily News, but he doesn't necessarily like cover either of the teams. And here, so here's, I'll give you what happened, and then I'll give you my theory about why he's so angry all the time about the Nets. So right. I, there was something like at some point, um, something must have popped into his Twitter feed about a knee injury. Oh, it's a Brian Lewis tweet talking about D'Angelo Russell and how it was about the benching that D'Angelo Russell went through on Saturday night. If you don't, if you have been watching all the games, D'Angelo was benched Saturday against the Heat. He was benched after like playing five minutes um, into the first quarter. He was benched and didn't play the rest of the game, but the Nets won. Um, so then Brian Lewis got reaction after the Pistons game asking him about it. And D'Angelo was just like, coach's decision, we won the game, so... You know, it's totally cool. Bondi comes back and tweets about how um, this is his tweet. This is his tweet that led to a big thread between him and Brian Lewis from the Post. I know that Sean Marks is a genius. Just read his press clippings. But if everybody knew that D'Angelo Russell had a knee problem pre-trade, isn't that a negative mark on the great genius? 
So then uh, Brian Lewis responds, and basically Bondi's point was that, like, it, you know, she, he is upset that Sean Marks seems to get a pass and that everything Sean Marks seems to do gets praised profusely, and Bondi disagrees with that. Here's my diagnosis of what is going on. I think Stefan Bondi still follows a lot of people from the Nets on his Twitter feed. And you know that moment in... So you're not as deep as a Twitter guy as I am, Bri. But there's a few, thing... Few people are, Mike. <laughs> there's a thing that happens. So when we initially set up our Twitter account, someone else who used to do the pod with us set it up, and he, let's say he is a public relations enthusiast, okay? So what, <laughs> sure. what you do is you follow... You try to follow everyone so that they maybe follow you back. And then you kind of create that little community immediately. You grow crazy if you follow too many of the same people that are saying the same type of stuff. You do. You're like, this is insane. Like the amount of love for something or the amount of hate for something. It's like if you followed too much of a political point of view, you're going to get kind of insane. It's too much. This is my, my version. Sorry to cut you off. My version of that is Lakers fans on Twitter always <laughs> seem. I mean, we're, we're getting a special brand of Lakers fan because of the D'Angelo. They seem to be capital H haters, Mike. Uh, but boy, howdy, are, are they um, a pugnacious group on, on Twitter? And you wouldn't think Lakers fans would be, right? Because they've won. Whatever. Yeah, what, do, what do they have to prove? But And yet here they are. Coming, coming downstream to to punch down a deep, poor D'Angelo Russell on the Brooklyn Nets, dude. He's just trying to live his life. I will say, yeah. you know, you have Kyle Kuzma. Come on, you should be happy. You didn't get burned. Do I, I'm I'm going to go here, Brian. I will say this: the on. I so I follow D'Angelo on Instagram. We're ready for this. This is tabloid stuff. You ready for this? Yeah. Yes, I'm excited. Um, I think they were in Florida on Friday. They were in Miami on Friday before the game on Saturday. And he was insta-storying him on a boat in the water. So uh-huh. if I want to be a tabloid reporter, I would say D'Angelo Russell's on yacht before getting benched. I could do that. <laughs> I don't agree with that, though. You I actually basically this is the best version of a tabloid. <laughs> like we should start a tabloid where every headline starts. If this was a tabloid, the headline would read. This is what yeah. we would do. But yeah. we're, we're, we're highbrow. They're lowbrow. Yeah. Um, I will actually, I would say I would want all my players on boats before games. Cause I think it's probably better for your body, but regardless, so? nah, I don't know. Dude, I do. I do very badly on boats. Yeah, that is. I am a sensitive bear. Um, so anyways, so <laughs> oh, Stefan Bondi. So I think that he just follows a bunch of people that are Nets fans, Nets reporters. And he thinks that they're all saying that Sean Marks is flawless and he just grows crazy and he just has to say something. And he has an outlet, right? I mean, he has the Daily News and he has his position and he still has the same followers I'm sure he had when he covered the Nets. He just gets he gets insane and then wants to just say stuff. So it's interesting. Just go check out. Anyway, so but but subgenre off of that, and we've already gotten some tweets about that, is the D'Angelo Russell trade. Okay. And I think maybe later we'll do an analysis of it. But it's going to be interesting, I think, at the end of the season to look at exactly how we feel about that trade. I mean, I'll just preview it right now. I don't have any regrets. Like, do you regret that they traded they traded Brooke Lopez and what ended up being Kyle Kuzma for Mozgov and D'Angelo? Are there, like, feelings of regret about that? Like, have you given pause? No, I'm, like, I'm incredibly optimistic about D'Angelo Russell's future, as I, as I think... Most people should be. And like, What's, you know, I kind of agree with Bondi a little bit about um, Sean Marks. Like, 
I like I would like to be a little bit more critical of Sean Marks going forward. I think we need to look at that, Brian. We maybe look, need to look at that everything he does isn't perfect, but dude is dude went nuts. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, if we're if we're using the prospect of D'Angelo Russell's potential knee issues as that as like a a yardstick, like I guess. But if that's the only thing on the cons list, like come on, that's that's a pretty short list. What else do we have? Um, so then you have, and I think you, so did you see this Brian Lewis story about Jaleel Okafor? You may have also seen it on netsdaily.com about what Jaleel has been kind of saying. Um, yeah. Okay. So if you don't know, obviously you know that Jaleel Okafor isn't playing, but, um, Okafor was asked by Brian Lewis, something about a Kenny Atkinson quote. Kenny Atkinson essentially said about why Jaleel isn't playing is that it's sort of tough to incorporate him into the roster and onto the onto the floor because he hadn't been with us for that long. Even though that's baloney because Jared Cunningham had been with the team for two days and now he took all of Quincy Acey's minutes. Dante. Dante Cunningham. So I, why do I keep you. saying Jared Cunningham? Who is Jared Cunningham? Know. You're thinking of um, Jared Dudley somehow, I think. <laughs> I think Jared <laughs> there's someone named Jared Cunningham. Anyways, um, and I and I've even Do you want the answer to this? Yes. Do you, you want the, the three-dimensional chess version of this? Yes, please do. Put your tinfoil caps on, people. Take them out of your back pocket. Put them on. Um, here's why <laughs> Jaleel Okafor is not playing this season, but we'll get a contract from the Brooklyn Nets and continue playing for them and actually log some significant minutes next season. Jaleel Okafor does not fit with the system, but he's a project player, right? So... Here's what they're going to do. They're going to sign him to a very small contract because he's not going to get a whole lot of offers anywhere else. And then they're actually going to play him because next year we actually have a pick. So it behooves us to be bad and actually lose games <laughs> while, while, <laughs> for the first time in a very long time. And Jaleel Okafor makes for a perfect tank commander because fans are actually clamoring for the tank commander to get minutes. So they've built... Tank commander. They've, they've built... <laughs> A market for our demise, our tanking demise. Uh, he's uh, it's, it's three dimensional chess, four dimensional chess. We need to do uh, a show this summer of that. What would be the tank all tank team? Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the Nets that like the Nets could reasonably put out there, and it would be something like we're gonna put. I'll just a quick preview again. Uh, we're gonna try Jaleel at the four and Mozgov at the five because we think rebounding's the way to do it. We think that's yeah. that's the new inefficiency. <laughs> <laughs> the tank yeah. commander. <laughs> yeah, come on. Um, so, if, I mean, Okafor talked about, so this is what I actually really like about his quote is that he said about, Bri he reacted to the Kenny Atkinson quote, he said, I don't really know what that means. I've been here for three to four months. Saying a full offseason would help me. I've been with these guys for three to four months now, done everything they've asked of me. I'm not sure what they want, but everyone's treated me really well. So even as he's saying it, <laughs> he's like, oh, shit, I better reel this back in. Um. I, I I understand. Okay, question for you. The fact that he doesn't know what he needs to do to get on the floor, does that mean that he is actually, they, they have been telling him and that he's clueless to it and he can't play that way? Or is it just that Kenny Atkinson is not interested in playing him and Jalil Okafor is trying to do everything they want him to do, which is play defense and not clog up the lane? but he just will never get on the floor because Kenny Atkinson doesn't want to play him. Why isn't he playing? I'm, 
I'm going with my. I mean, I actually <laughs> believe in my deep world. <laughs> like, I actually believe this. So, like, you I don't think, think he's good. Is like the bottom line. They, I don't think they they think he fits long term or short term necessarily. Um, and that's why he's not playing now, but he will play next season. I'm telling you, this is what when he starts like racking up thirty minutes game, thirty minutes a game, like night after night. We'll we'll have this conversation next season, and you'll and you'll know. You'll know that I was right. Would you? I think I would, yes. I mean, I think it's an obvious kind of thing. But, like, if you're Jaleel Okafor and the Nets offer you, like, league minimum to come back with the team, do you even take it at this point? Like, I would think that my – because this next season has to be his last one if he's ever going to be anything. And if he doesn't – and if he just takes a contract with a team that obviously doesn't give a crap about playing him unless they want to tank, um, I don't know. I – I, I am doubtful that he will be with this team next year. I just don't I don't know his agent must tell him, dude, you're not you're not playing for them. Let's figure out something else. Let's get you out. I don't I and I think his agent would say, dude. Yeah, the, the alternative you're playing you're playing no minutes for the wor- maybe one of the worst teams in the league. There isn't a ton of options for you going to be, you know, who's going to who's going to come knocking for Julie Loco for services? Give me the name of that team. I'm telling you, they're going to the give Kings. him that 2 mil. Tyler Ziller, that sweet 2 million dollar deal. Um, and he will be thinking his lucky stars. He'll get like two years, two million. The Kings will be knocking down. I mean, come on. That's it, Jaleel Okafor on the Kings it. makes like a heck of a lot of sense. Just too much um, damn sense. Speaking of good players, Joe Harris <laughs> getting a lot of love in the news lately, Mike. Zach Lowe mentioned him in one of his top ten things I like and don't like or whatever. Um, and there was another article uh, whose source I'm going to flub. Sorry, whoever that is. Talking about eight NBA executives, and Mike, you're going to appreciate this. Eight NBA executives estimate his worth at four to seven million a year next year. Oh, oh, where did that come from? Who heard it yeah. here first, Brian? <laughs> Mike Smeltz had a beat on that in January, I believe, something like that. Um, I did also say Dinwiddie would get eighteen million dollars yeah. <laughs> a year. And and to everybody, I went back and looked through the comments, and nobody disagreed with you with the Joe Harris thing, and everybody disagreed <laughs> with the Spencer Dinwiddie. So I wanted to call out names, but unfortunately, you guys, you guys are all super savvy. You're you know super smart basketball fans. What can I do with you? Um, here's the great Joe Harris said that was in that Zach Lowe piece. Okay, and it, so kind of like listen to this as I say it because it it is a little confusing. Brooklyn averages 1.14 points per possession when Harris shoots out of a pick and roll or passes to a teammate who then shoots. That is first among all ball handlers who have used at least 75 screens. Number one, Joe Harris is the most productive pick and roll player off of a pick and roll where either he shoots or the guy who then next gets the ball from him then shoots. That is the most productive. That is insane. That's a, he scores or assists, right? Is that is that safe to? That's safer to say it that way. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a crazy. I mean, that's a stat you would think like I don't know. Chris <laughs> Paul would be the king of, or James Harden, but no, it's Joe, little Joe Harris, little little sweet Joe Harris, who comes in and is better than Alan Crabb. That's definitive, definitive, yeah. Brian. <clears throat> and uh, I don't. I can't even think about Crabb. Crabb makes me so angry. He don't think about him. Let's not. Let's not talk about him. So um, this I, is about Joe Harris and his yeah. and his success. Yeah, and so um, like. But here, up- here's I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a wrench in the works really quick. Please do. And this is courtesy of True Boy Matt Parker, friend of the show, um, and friend of life. You know, at this point, <laughs> shout out to Matt Parker. Um, 
so he was he sent this um, Kevin Pelton weekly mailbag thing at the bottom. Buried in it is this bit about the Nets and their. Um, if you're, are you familiar with this uh, metric, this is called uh, QSQ, which stands for oh gosh, where is it? There's anyway, it's like quantitative shot quality. I think is what it is. Ooh, I like that. Um, right, and so let's see um quantified shot quality metric measures the effective field goal percentage we'd expect an average team to make given the location and type of shots and location of nearby defenders sure so it's it's basically the the most valuable the highest percentage is just on the floor right they they do a big amalgamation of all of the players in the nba and they find the most valuable places to shoot from on the floor the brooklyn nets lead in shot quality differential the entire league by a wide margin uh of like in in this metric a wide margin is like 0.1 percent we're at uh or like a mar a, a margin is 0.1 percent we're leading by 0.4 that's 2.1 <laughs> for those keeping the track um and so basically this is so here's why it's original works <clears throat> it's not just joe harris that is performing efficiently at a pick and rolls statistically speaking, if the shot is in a place where the league shoots at a high percentage, we will shoot that shot and do it at a high percentage. And it's so, okay, so who gets the credit for that? That's what I've been trying this to figure is, out. This this is the system. That's the system stuff. Yes. So like the like larger extrapolation here is like we have a dearth of talent. Um, so, and Kevin Pelton correctly, maybe I think in my opinion, correctly surmises that, um, as the Nets gets gets players capable of taking advantage of these opportunities, their high quality shot distribution will start to pay more dividends. Like is is what he summarizes with. Um, so yeah, so like is is Joe Harris? I mean, Joe Harris seems to be a perfect cog for the system somehow. Another feather in the cap of Sean Marks. I'll put that in the pros list. Let's start making that list. By the way. Yeah, we need to do. So I do want to do like a you know we'll talk about this later like a season review thing as we get to close to the end of the season what i was thinking is maybe we do like separate podcasts we'll pick like three players for each podcast so one would be like the dinwiddie d'angelo you know cunningham pod that we just break them down we fill them out we give them some stuff but i think we need to do one specifically about sean marks and kenny atkinson because you know they aren't perfect but i do think overall you would give them i don't know a b or whatever whatever you want a b b plus you'd be happy with them the Nets are playing the right way. Like so, you get into these games, and the Nets have been again slightly disappointing for me because I expect them to just rip off a ton of wins. They did go obviously beat Orlando and Miami, but then you see them against a team like I forget who we played recently. It was another team who stunk, and the Nets even lost to them. And then, but it was like that team did have more talent than the Nets. It's just that the Nets end up playing like. The are you Nets, talking about the Charlotte Hornets or something? What are you talking about? It could, well, definitely the Charlotte Hornets have more talent than the Nets. That's undeniable. And then, like, so then you look at, so why are the Charlotte Hornets bad? Well, they've had some injuries, and their team really doesn't play the modern brand of basketball. They have, you know, Dwight Howard ripped them to shreds. What was it, like 30 for 30 or 20 for 20 or some? Yeah, it was a 30. They made a whole 30 for 30 about this one. Yeah, <laughs> about this game. <laughs> but yeah. it's like. If you actually would try to give like cold hard like analysis about which team has more talent, very few teams have less talent than the Nets. So every win that the Nets get is because they're not tanking and they play basketball the right way. <coughs> With Dan and like, that and that QSQ dog, come on, dude. QSQ, I'm all about it. 
Um, by the way, so I have a couple of things about Jason Kidd coming up. Um, Wait, can yes. we pivot quickly it just because this will parlay a little bit nicer into this? Sure. QSQ is a system. You're a guy who watches a fair amount of Wizards basketball. Am I right about that or am I wrong about that? Unfo- yes, I, that is right. Okay. So it's your boy, Simon McCormack. Um, emailed us at netspot at gmail.com and we thank him for that because it's so nice when people do that. Um, he says, hi, what do you guys think about the Nets trying once again to acquire Otto Porter the same way they circled back and got Alan Crabb last year? As I type this, the Wizards have the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference and would play and likely lose to the third-seeded Cavaliers in the first round. If that happens, I think Wizards owner Ted Leonosis, Leonsis, 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 um, will will reason <laughs> that the strategy of paying Wall, Beal, and Porter max or super max money hasn't panned out, and he'll want to get out of the luxury tax hell that Porter contract helped put him in. I think something like the expiring $15 million contract of Damari Carroll and the team-friendly Spencer Dinwiddie contract would entice the Wizards to give Porter up. Do you agree? And if not, do you think there's anything the Nets could offer to pry Porter from the Wizards? Um, thanks. Love the pod. Love you, Simon. Great email. Mike, take it away. Here's the problem with that, okay? Uh, Porter's better than Alan Crabb, but do you want? Do you super really want Alan Crabb and Otto Porter making a combined, I think it would be combined, uh, $42 million a year? Two guys that are, you know, at best, like, Otto Porter and Alan Crabb should be guys that are complementary to a star, but they're, then they'd be making $42 million a year. The second thing off of that is that uh, I feel like Damari. So that's a very interesting thing that he brings up: the fact that like the the Wizards are entering a hell where they're paying Beal, Wall, and Porter sixty million plus a year. Actually, I think it's closer to seventy million dollars a year. Here's the thing, though: emotion, heartstrings. Leonsis has went to Georgetown, and so did Otto Porter. So there's an emotion there that he, that he loves, and he'd be unlikely to want to get rid of him. Um, if I'm the Nets, really? you think it's that simple? No, I, I do. He's like, he's a very strange owner because he actually doesn't like to fire people and he doesn't like to get rid of players and he likes people to be there all the time. I mean, he loved Gilbert Arenas, Nick Young, and JaVale McGee. And if you can love those dudes and Andre Blotch, and if you can love mm-hmm. those guys, what's well, not to love? I love Andre. What are you talking about? Stop it. That was <laughs> that was the original guy I disliked. Uh, it's it, it is super interesting and would be. Um, it, it would Otto Porter's way better than Alan Crabb, but he's also a little bit too similar to Alan Crabb to really make sense on the floor together. Otto Porter's really not a stretch four, even though he's tall. He's just like not that kind of guy. He could play the four just because offensively the Nets were playing Cunningham at the five, and uh, I don't even know who was the four. Probably Carroll was the four at that point, and they're playing Rondé Hollis Jefferson at the four. It's just that. It's too much money for guys who mostly only shoot threes and don't do tremendous amount of creation. If they, I mean, if they could get rid of Alan Crabb for Otto Porter, oh my God, yes, please, please send Alan Crabb away, Brian. Away to the other team you watch all the time. Yeah, yeah, the, the, <laughs> to the team that I, I actually love. Um, <clears throat> so, real quick, what's your feeling about Otto Porter, and is that something you care about? Well. I don't know. I don't know if I'm still a believer in his upside. I mean, I think you're right that he's probably just a complimentary player at this point and, and may kind of pivot his game to be 
a an ideal complementary player, which on a system team is a cool thing to have, but not obviously as your you know primary scorer or a hope you know a person that's you know plays I don't know takes a lot of shots next to D'Angelo Russell and whoever else we can hopefully pry and Mo Wagner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Stop it! You know he's no good. I mean he's been amazing for Michigan, but he's he's not. He's not I know, good of course at not. <laughs> of course. No, not. he's very good at basketball, you think but I'm, not you think a pro. I'm being serious, because um, I'm not. But yeah, so I guess I'm like, I guess I'm not chomping at the bit for that. I I would be, I guess I would be a little bit confused as to the direction the team would be headed in if we were having Crab and Otto Porter playing, taking up that amount of cap space and playing that amount of time next to each other. Um, I, I mean, honestly, if you give me a power rankings of Alan Crabb at nineteen million dollars a year, Otto Porter at twenty one million dollars a year, Joe Harris at seven million a year. Give me Joe Harris number one, and then carve out a space between two and eighteen, and then give me Otto Porter, and then carve out a thousand more spaces, and then give me Alan Crabb because it just really sucks that Alan Crabb is not <laughs> is not going to happen. Doesn't it? Doesn't feel like it's going to happen, Mike. And even if it does, like okay, so again, we'll maybe do this later. But like the ceiling for Alan Crabb now that I've watched him. Still feels like at the best, um, like B level Kyle Corver, you know. But like that's that's good, but that's not nineteen million a year. We like uh, so Anthony Morrow was on you know the Detroit Pistons, and now that Anthony Morrow's like was Anthony Morrow or uh, who was their who was their power forward on the team who was like a classic three point shooter? Oh, Anthony Tolliver. Oliver. Tolliver, yeah. yeah. So to, like. Uh, Tolliver's a little bigger player, but now he's kind of got some fat to him, so he's a little better post player in terms of defense, uh, which is helpful. But, like, uh, I think Alan Crabb came in his life, he became the, the, he's the best version of himself at the perfect time, right? Because if you put him in the NBA 15 years ago, I don't, I just don't know how much value he has because he's not, they didn't care about three point shooting and he doesn't do tremendously anything else on the floor uh remember the buzz we had earlier in the year about his defense that was my <laughs> fault i bought in you know uh yeah he's fine defensively there were just so many times in the pistons game and i want people to watch this going forward um i don't think he likes playing with d'angelo russell i'm not saying it's d'angelo's fault because d'angelo had some amazing passes in the pistons game as he always does bullet passes things that skip the next level but there's a couple of times where alan crab basically jog down the floor knowing that he wasn't going to touch the ball because D'Angelo Russell doesn't seem all that interested at the Walt Allen Crab. But, uh, yeah, it's just not that interesting. I don't blame D'Angelo Russell for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm looking at Otto Porter's numbers and they're, uh, super duper consistent. Um, no, yes, they're very, and he's better than Allen Crab. There's no question. Yeah. He's a better defender. He does more. He doesn't get any blocks, looks. though. You'd, you'd think a guy that that lanky would would do a little bit better with that. Doesn't seem he seems to be going for the steals more than the, than the blocks, Mike. They don't care about defense in DC. Yeah. That's just not yeah. a thing they give anything about. Um, so Jason Kidd, Brian, has mm. been nominated. Not nominated. I guess he's been. He will be inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Very exciting. Okay. Uh, but we, you know, we as Nets watchers, you as a Nets fan your whole life, kind of have gone through weird, a weird kind of turn of emotions with him. 
what are your feelings for Jason Kidd at this moment? What, what do you think of when you think of Jason Kidd now? I think I want him to get on the show. I want him to be on the pod. You know, that's <laughs> <laughs> I want to pick his brain. Um, I should let yes, I should let people know. I emailed a request to Jason Kidd at jasonkidd.com. Hopefully, jasonkidd.com gets back to me. That's a real website run by someone who claims to be Jason. I'm Kidd. assuming it's Jason Kidd. I'm assuming Jason Kidd is answering <laughs> it's that. Probably email. his son, to be honest. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, how do I feel about Jason Kidd? I guess you know, conflicted. Um, gosh, maybe even too conflicted to really have a proper answer for you right now. I think um, when the dust settles on his, like I. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, I guess I like him, you know, more than I dislike him. Uh, you know, that like that period in Nets in the Brooklyn Nets franchise history was so chaotic that I, you know, I can't fault any one person too much. The, um, the one year he coached. Yeah. Or was yeah. it one or two? I forget. It, I believe it was one. Yeah, it was um, one. And then the summer going into a second, he pull, pulled some kind of Devil Wears Prada style power move. Um, that makes it sound good, by the way, when you say Devil Wears Prada. So I appreciate yeah. that. Um, and, but I don't know if like, I mean, I, I think the knocks on him are like, he's, he's a crazy sociopath and can't get along with people. That's what I've, <laughs> that's what I've picked up off <laughs> the street, but I don't, I don't know that that's, that's probably seems a little hyperbolic. Um, my feelings about him was like, he was the reason why this franchise even like, you know, continued to be a thing going into the, the early aughts and, and, and later, like without him, um, Something I don't know. It, it, this franchise could have gone just gone away. So, um, you know, that was like the most fun I've ever had watching basketball. And I still think about this all the time in uh, Bill Simmons' book of basketball, where he talks about how how much he hated watching the New Jersey Nets from the Jason Kidd era. I was like, <clears throat> I cannot relate to that at all. Like, even if I'm trying to be objective, like a team that. If you're if you're building a team and you're going all in on a certain kind of assets, who does it with defense and fast breaks? That's the only thing that they did. They did just two things, and that's it. And they sucked at literally everything else and made it all the way to home. <laughs> it's such such a unique team um, to watch and super fun. And uh, what do you, what you well, I mean, something? I think people like forget. I mean, I don't understand any hate towards those teams. I think what it is is that. Because um, the Celtics sucked those years, and we used to whoop on them, and that's why he was so buttered about it. Right, anyway. and he's the most like biased person out there. But the thing, he's what he had to watch Antoine Walker do the shimmy all over the place. And it's also like so. I think people wanted a worthy challenger uh, going into the finals, and what it ended up being was a Nets team that you know, in, if you're going to rank all the teams that have been to the finals the past thirty years, that Nets team would be one of the more lower ranked teams, right? I mean. Maybe you say that like first LeBron year they went to the finals, but they're just like that was not a Nets. That wasn't like a great team, but it was a fun <laughs> team. Richard Jefferson and Vince Carter being out there, different like so. And yeah. Jason Kidd uh, is a super fun basketball player. Just the most underdoggy team of all time. I mean, especially to come out of all places in New Jersey, which is you you know a bit of a whatever. Nobody thinks about that state at all. So it's like you know the team <laughs> could not have been more underdoggy than that. Well, and like um, every like national piece about the team, they would always seem to start because I've read back some stuff. They would always seem to start to describe the practice facility and how you know yeah, awful yeah. it is, and just the <laughs> like the, yeah. the starkness of the the environment that the, this you know fun team kind of came out of. I don't yeah. know. I, they talk about it like they literally played in a swamp, like it was an actual swamp. Yes, <laughs> drain, like in a hashtag pipe. drain the swamp. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, so uh, yeah, I guess like if I'm like in five years when like it'll be a, a real asterisk on the Brooklyn Nets franchise of like Jason Kidd did that one like year and had like a, you know, falling out with then bad GM Billy King or whatever friend of the show. Um, but you know, flawed, flawed GM, um, <laughs> like I, I'll have to be like, you know, it was awesome watching Jason Kidd, super fun player to watch. Easily some of the best years, you know, of, of our fandom. Hard hard to, you know, give all that up over some kind of mismanaged, I don't know, coaching thing. Well, and, and so, like, so there's a – Howard Beck had a long interview with Jason Kidd talking. It was mostly about um, his time with the Bucks, Jason Kidd's time with the Bucks, and what went wrong there. It was a really good piece because it had sort of a full spectrum of what the players thought about Jason Kidd, what Jason Kidd thought about it. But even within that – they couldn't help but revisit the time with the Nets. Um, and I went, I pulled a couple of nuggets from that piece that I kind of wanted to play out here. Because I, mm. I, I, I even forget how nuts that was. The whole the whole fact that like Lawrence Frank was sent away to do team reports, was sent yeah. away to a cold, dark, windowless room to do it's a team. great meme. Solid meme. Um, so, so we had – so what was – so if you're a Nets fan and you do want to kind of know what happened in that kid year, it's really recommended to read the Howard Beck piece – because you do know exactly what kind of coach kid was with the team. Uh, he talks about how the staff, the coaching staff, divided into two factions: one loyal to Jason Kidd and one loyal to Lawrence Frank. Um, <laughs> one Nets source, and I always love to figure out who these Nets sources are. It's one of my favorite things to do. Nets source says he was not prepared for putting a staff together. He didn't understand the roles and responsibilities that go into it. Um, Howard Beck talks about how. Kevin Garnett busted into a coach's meeting once to say that the players needed to hear from their head coach because the head coach didn't talk to them that much, being Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd didn't talk to the players all that much. Um, that one day at practice, and this has been reported before, but that kid refused to take the court while Lawrence Frank was on the court. He had to make – Lawrence Frank had to leave the practice floor before Jason Kidd would decide to go out there. Would you imagine, Brian, in person seeing mm. that? Can you imagine – you're a, a group of 15 millionaires, essentially, playing basketball, and these two childish – I mean, we're trying mm. to get Jason Kidd on the pod, so he's not childish. But Lawrence Frank Childish and Jason Kidd, mm. they couldn't even be on the court at the same time together. Mm. But the best part – this plays right into my heart – is that Kidd wanted to bench Darren Williams in favor of Sean Livingston – Per multiple sources, a fact that Kid confirms, saying Sean probably deserved to start. And wow! When players saw that Kid lost faith in Darren Williams, they gave up and won too. I mean, gave up. They gave up on him too. I mean, that is like, oh, that makes me so happy. I'm sorry. <laughs> makes you an even stronger believer in Jason Kidd's wisdom and genius. Well, like remember at the time when we would talk because so who was the coach before Jason Kidd? It wasn't Lionel Hollins, right? Lionel Hollins was after. No, it's PJ. PJ. So you come in. I remember you and I talking about this a lot. That like Jason Kidd was like kind of doing a lot of modern stuff. You know, minutes restrictions. That year was the year that Lope Brook got hurt, so Kevin Garnett moved to the five. So that was like a small ball team. Um, it was an interesting team. And we're like, Jason Kidd does know obviously how to coach basketball and like what's the way to play basketball. And then he goes to the Bucks. And I don't know if you follow Bucks Twitter, but like they they hate him. They yeah. Bucks fans hate him so much for the what he does to this team. They all think that he did the absolute worst. 
<laughs> like watching the Nets with him, I was like, well, he knows how to coach. Maybe he's a jerk, but like he seems to know how to coach basketball. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was recently listening to, um, gosh, who was it? Uh, it was Floyd. an episode of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in a dark side of the moon and tripping, and I saw the triangle. No, I, I was, um, it was that close podcast. I think it was must have been, I don't know, I forget who it was, but they were talking about what That's exactly a good podcast, is going by on. the way. What's that? That's a good podcast, by the way. It's pretty good. You guys should listen to it. Um, and <laughs> they were talking about exactly why the Milwaukee fans hated Jason Kidd the way that they do, and and his guest, whom whose name I'm forgetting. I think it was Howard Beck, um, probably. I don't think so. It could have. I this might be the second time I'm going to talk about Kevin Arnowitz, but I think it might have been. Um, but anyways, that basically uh, he was allowing players to take shots that. Um, simply should not be. He was trying to make John Henson into a guy who was taking like elbow jumpers or like, oh, sure. you know, um, stuff like that. So um, I think he has a, a way of playing that's sort of, or a way of coaching, and um, it may not be that adaptable. Um, and he's got a weird team. I mean, that that team is filled with people with very special, specific skill sets, right? Not not dissimilar from the way that the Nets team that he coached was constructed, like. Like Sean Livingston is a very limited player, but he has a certain kind of skill set that you have to operate. Like Andrew Blotch, and and even you know to to a lesser extent, people like Kevin Garnett, and at like you know forty years old, was sort of limited. Um, and like he's figured out finally how to work around that. Um, and mostly it came from just sort of like freeing it up, allowing people to sort of be themselves more. But it seemed to go the opposite way with Milwaukee. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, I feel. I feel um, conflicted about my relationship with Jason Kidd, but I really want him on the pod. So I do love him, you know, at, at my heart, at my heart. Um, one last one for you. And this is this is my half abbreviated news around the league segment is that. Uh, so there's a lot of drum with Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs and uh, Kawhi Leonard is now back in New York City rehabbing with his own doctors. And, you know, he's had this weird hamstring injury. Uh, seems like he's going to come back and then he's not going to come back and then he's going to come back. And then Greg Popovich said this Sunday, it, so this would have been yesterday, Sunday before the game against Houston. Pop says, I don't know when he's going to feel he and his group are going to feel like they're ready to go. If I knew, he'd, if I knew comma, he'd be here. When he and his group feel he's ready, he'll be ready. Brian, where did Sean Marks come from? Uh, that's San Antonio, the San Antonio hive mind. Would you trade... <laughs> D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, and Did Woody for Kawhi. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Um, no, I don't think I would. What? No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about this knee. It sounds like. Uh, well, it's like a hamstring. Hamstring, sorry. Yeah. Hey, that's a, that's a weird thing about it. It's like not. It's not a body part that you think of being, um, you know, debilitating. Well, it is if you're Jeremy Lin last year. Oh. Um, wah, wah. <laughs> you, forget, you forget all of your, your ham-based puns um, all last year. But uh, <laughs> Happy Easter, everyone. Uh, hey. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, like, it sounds like it's like a big, like, botched nightmare. I don't know. What, what, what have you been hearing about it? Well, it's just, it's so Jalen Rose who... Okay, so if you don't know the backstory with Jalen Rose, why he says this stuff, Jalen Rose, uh, his coach at Michigan was Steve Fisher, and Steve Fisher was Kawhi's coach at San Diego State. And Jalen Rose has been saying for months now that Kawhi will never play another game with the Spurs. Not that he's refusing to, it's just that he knows that Kawhi's 
injury or he believes or he hears that Kawhi's injury is not something that's been played around with, that it's not some fake thing, and that Kawhi doesn't trust the Spurs anymore and that he wants to go home to Los Angeles. I kind of trust that. I mean, that is like – that's so where would Jalen Rose be getting his information from? Someone that probably knows Kawhi Leonard very well. Well, it sounds weirdly specific, but also Jalen Rose is Jalen Rose, and I feel like <laughs> I feel like he's not afraid to be loud wrong on something like this. Yeah, and that's how he's gotten this great job yeah. at ESPN now because he's mm-hmm. he's not afraid to be loud wrong. But um, it's interesting because like so <laughs> when the so the, the there's like a, a difference between the Cavaliers and the Spurs. So this summer there are two guys who are both good at basketball that both wanted to be traded. One was Kyrie Irving, and one was LaMarcus Aldridge. What happened with the Spurs is that Popovich talked to LaMarcus Aldridge and said, you know what, I'll let you play a little bit different way. I'll let you play more the way you want. Stay with us. And he stayed. Kyrie, they just were just trying to trade. They were just trying to throw him away. They were trying to get him off the team, you know, get a good deal, but they were trying to trade him. I think the Spurs are going to try to do the same thing when this season's over. They're going to go to Kawhi and say, you're under contract. We love you. You're a guy. We'll figure this out together. If we have to fire our whole training staff to do it, we'll do it because he matters more than, you know, the five guys who are trainers, unfortunately. That's how it works. You know, but I, w- would I trade D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Ronnie House Jefferson, and Spencer Dinwiddie for Kawhi Leonard? I would. Mike, it's it's a luck thing. This is more karmic than, than you know, I'm not trying to be rational here. It's when players <laughs> get traded to the Nets, their injuries do have a have a way of, of flaring up, and that's just... That's just God at work, you know. That's Dude, not that's not anything. We're in Brooklyn now, baby. Huh? We're in Brooklyn. That doesn't happen anymore. New <laughs> sure. franchise, new owner, new owners. Yeah, yeah. The, no, nothing's gonna be wrong in Brooklyn. All right, um, Brian, Michael. The Nets season is almost done, man. We're like we're very, very, this very is, close. This is where we actually turn on. This is where we're turn, this this period. This March has been a sad month, but as we get closer to the draft and all that. By the way, we should talk about the NBA 2K draft coming up um, in a couple of days. I know, I know. Maybe we need because that's like Thursday or something. That and I don't think the Nets have a team either, which is seems so unlike us as a as a franchise that's very marketing minded. So the Nets have coming up. They have. The Sixers tomorrow night, which would be uh, Tuesday, which my boss at WCBS said to remind people that the game will be on WCBS. Um, So I'm doing that. That's my duty to my boss, Tim Scheld, um, because I work at WCBS, if you don't know. After that, they play the Bucks, the Bulls, the Bulls again, and then the Celtics. The Celtics will probably be sitting all their players at that game. If the Nets win three more games, well, they're not going to beat the Bulls twice, but let's just say. Well, because the Bulls just beat the Wizards. Remarkably, the Bulls crushed the Wizards when the Bulls should be losing every game. I mean, that was so they're gonna they're still trying to win basketball games. I don't know why, but they are. They're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the Nets win three more games, we will feel better about the end of the season because the win total will look much better than maybe we we thought. And um, you know, will they carry that momentum into next season? We'll get. We'll let you know coming up after the break no. <laughs> we'll let you know we'll, let you know, we'll be the arbiters of that truth um you can find us where brian on twitter um at bk glue guys <laughs> and where should people find us on the internet in terms of like websites you can hit up 
Check out check out almightyballer.com. We're on there. There's a lot of other great shows and content to check out. And also netsdaily.com. You probably already know about it, but it's an institution. Darn it. And you got to respect it. Okay? So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back at your ears probably next week because I'm moving from one apartment to another, and which is an oh, awesome wow. experience. So I will talk to you later. You're going to be grumpy, I can tell. All right. I can already tell. All Anyways, right. bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, boy. <laughs>